Greetings and welcome to Cool Radio Stories, a podcast for independent radio stations in small to medium-sized markets, presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now here's your host, Tom Dobrez. Well, a hearty welcome to you, our listener. Today's guest is president and CEO for a broadcast company that owns over 20 radio stations in markets from Fort Wayne, Indiana, to Las Cruces, New Mexico. The Adams Radio Group, located out in Minnesota, embraces core values of local radio. Each of their markets is live, local. The objective is to super serve their advertising client as well as their listener. In addition, our guest was the brainchild and chief organizer of a massive radiothon recently held to help COVID-19 victims It was held at the end of April and over 1,000 radio stations across the country participated as the fundraiser was held for Feeding America. The Radiothon helped raise enough money to provide over 5 million meals across the country. I will say that we recorded this episode before that Radiothon. Uh, However, the insights of Ron Stone will hopefully go a long way in helping you provide better service in your markets as well as improving and reaching your local radio goals. Also, it goes without saying that we recorded this under the cloud of the COVID-19 crisis, and we will hear Ron Stone's thoughts a little bit later about the necessary survival tactics for radio stations. We're going to table that conversation towards the end of our show, I'd also like to inform you that we're going to hear from attorney John Garziglia. In our Ask John segment, we asked John about some pressing legal matters in the radio world. We also will check in with John Wanzong later in the show as he will dig into digital, special little audio column we have where we help you kind of navigate the newest and latest information on the digital world. But first, sit back, relax, and enjoy our cool radio story from... Ron Stone, President and CEO of the Adams Radio Group. Ron, it's a pleasure to have you, and thanks so much for sharing your cool radio story with us today. i like to start at the beginning. What was radio job number one for you? Oh, man. Uh, radio job number one was I started out on the financial side uh, in this business, which is not a place that a lot of people uh, choose to start their career in radio, not not and go down the path that I went down uh, with Beasley Broadcasting in uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina, where I grew up. Uh, George Beasley had a, a company that was based there. He's now based down in Florida, has been for many years now, but he was based there. And uh, I graduated East Carolina University and went into public accounting and got stuck in auditing and hated it and started looking for a job in private accounting and, and ended up finding one with him and uh worked worked with beasley for about three years and i you know it's like like everybody else got got the bug right away fell in love with radio and never looked back so your career path into the business at the time was a bit unusual now i know with a lot of the corporate elements that has come into the radio industry in the last couple of decades a finance route is a common more common route i should state 
So you got your start at Beasley, and that led you to where? So I, I, you know, I was there for three years, and then one of the GMs that worked for Beasley, you know, the beauty of working for George Beasley was, you know, George, by education, was a teacher. A lot of people don't know that, but he was, and he enjoyed uh, letting people learn the business through through him and through his company. And as the controller of Beasley, I got to travel around to the markets quite a bit, and and I tried to shadow anybody I could, and I learned as much about the business as I could while working for George, and that's kind of how I got the bug. But one of his GMs uh, started his own company, and he had seven stations, and he invited me to come along with him on that ride, and I, I joined his company as CFO and had a few little responsibilities as a COO for him, and that's that got me a little more involved in it from an operational standpoint. And so I... Um, you know that just of course that just got the bug that I just got the bug even worse then you know once you once you start playing around on the operational side the more you do that the less you want to be involved in the numbers you know you just want to be out there in the field and so it got me uh it really got me thinking about you know okay I I I just got this has got to be my life and so I a few friends of mine got together we all got together and managed to pull some money to, together and bought a small station in North Carolina. In fact, the, the college town that I went to school, East Carolina, in Greenville, North Carolina, we bought a small station together and I went there and ran it. And uh, that was my first real, you know, talking about jumping out of the fire, out of the frying pan into the fire. Uh, but that was where I got my real experience as far as just, you know, being out on the street and selling advertising and learning something about marketing, you know, firsthand and, and really get you know get getting my hands dirty in the business so to speak and learned a lot and um, yeah from that from that point forward it really was all about operations and sales and and just you know being uh, immersed in the communities that that I that I have served since an accountant turned salesperson right you don't hear that one too often we appreciate you sharing that and a nice development. Currently now, you're president CEO of the Adams Radio Group up in Minnesota. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Adams Radio Group's about? Well, so this is really the second time that I've worked with Steve Adams. So after I sold that station in North Carolina, I joined Adams. I was actually the C started out as the CFO for that company. Uh, Steve owned stations all around the country, and I was the CFO uh, slash COO for that company. I was based out west in Phoenix and San Diego, and that was in the late 80s, early 90s. And then um, Steve got out of the business when consolidation started. And so, so we worked together back then. I went on to do other things. In 2013, uh, I reached out to Steve and said, you know, I think it's a good time to start another radio company, a little different than what you had before, focusing more on smaller markets, maybe markets 50 through 200, small enough that you could get your arms around them and you know really own the community so to speak and so we got together and we put this company together and and uh in 2013 we bought our first market which was las cruces new mexico and uh the following year we bought fort wayne and northern indiana and then the following year we bought salisbury ocean city maryland and then in 2017 we bought tallahassee florida so we have five markets now and uh, 25 stations total. That's certainly a wide variety of experiences, a number of different markets, a number of different positions. 
And I guess the question I have is, what have you learned? Of course, the Adams Radio Group, you embrace the core values of local radio. It's in your motto. It's on your webpage. It means connecting to the community, as you mentioned earlier. Why don't you share with us maybe some of those strategies and or tactics that you think are important in today's radio world for for doing that, for connecting to the community? Sure. Well, you know, my belief is, and it's a pretty simple belief, I, I, I think as a general manager, you know, you should see yourself somewhat as the mayor of your town, not the elected mayor, but you should see yourself as the mayor of your town. You should want to be that guy or girl that when anything's going on in your community where the community needs help, whether it's a fundraiser for this or that, or or really anything that they just need to get the word out on something, there's a cause, there's something that matters to your community. In my opinion, you should be the first person that that anyone thinks about uh, getting in touch with. They should want you to be involved in it, almost no matter what it is that's going on. And and you should be the first person that they should want to call. When when you achieve that status in in a community, uh, to me, that's when you know that you have become the mayor. So how do you get that? You, You get it by personally be personally being involved you know you, you you join whatever you truly can sink your teeth in whether it's rotary or lions or kiwanis or maybe it's more than one of those things uh you get involved in that you, you know you serve on the board of that uh maybe you, maybe you become the president of that organization but you become a leader within that civic club you you're you're highly involved in your chamber of commerce uh other organizations in your in your town and from my perspective, all the other uh, leaders in your community, all the other business leaders in your community, you, you want to get to a place where people come up to you and they say, you know, it's really strange. No matter what I go to do, no matter where I go, anything that I get involved in, I, I assuredly will will run into you. I, I will see you there in some capacity helping. And when, when people start saying those things to you, that's when you know that you've accomplished, as a general manager, you've accomplished bringing your radio stations um, to the level in your community that, that no one can take away from you. You, you, you are the source uh, that the community uh, will depend on to, to bring them through whatever situation they're going through, to help them accomplish whatever goal they're trying to accomplish. And that, to me, is what local radio is all about. And that's what it's always been all about. And it's still what it's all about right now, today. What we're going through right now, today, proves that very thing. Well, you're exactly right. As we sit here under the COVID-19 cloud, certainly responding and how we respond to this moment in time is vitally important. And you get to know what your community needs by being present. Our last podcast, we talked with Dean Sorensen, and he termed the phrase, be in the front row. And he was really saying is it's not just about going to those group meetings, the town council meetings, but being in the front row, meaning be active, participate, become part of that group, that organization that is important in your community so that you can keep your finger on the pulse. Ron, obviously you've done that through the years. You've been very connected, but let's talk about uh, what 
you know, your limitations are as a single person, but more about your team and who you hire and what you've hired and some of your hiring lessons that you've learned going through the years. Obviously, it's key to get the right people. What can you share with us about that whole hiring process and what have you learned trying to find good people to do this job? Well, first off, Tom, I, I mean, it, it, it goes without saying that, you know, every every general manager you hire, I think, has to has to have that same uh, philosophy or it doesn't work because you're right. I'm in Minnesota. I can I can have that philosophy all day long, but I'm not in the five markets and I can't you know, I can't be the one doing it. They have to do it. And not only do they have to do it, but every single employee that works in our markets, they have to embrace the same the same philosophy. And, and it, so it's so it's from the top down. It's everybody in the building has to be has to be has to be operating that way. That's how that's the only way it can work. And as far as hiring people, look, you know, we've all hired, you know, excellent leaders and, and we've all hired some that we thought were going to be excellent leaders and they didn't turn out that way. Uh, we've all we've all been in that situation. Uh, I, cer- I certainly have have hired my share of both. Um, my, you know, I. I've always prided myself in being able to put together teams that, you know, that that exceed uh, my expectations and and do really well. And I think I, I would give myself a grade of A of having had been fortunate enough to work with teams that have exceeded my expectations uh, for the most part. Uh, but I certainly have had a few that didn't uh, for whatever reason. Uh, I, I always feel like that at the end of the day, the person that maybe doesn't exceed your expectations you know, there's a reason why they didn't doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. You know, they, they might not they just might not be in the right place at the right time. You know, sometimes people take a position because they really need a job, but they don't like that particular market. Maybe they really want to be back where they came from in a different market. You know that they're, they're not happy where they're living. Geography does matter. Sometimes there's a lot of reasons why somebody might not be successful somewhere. And you just you know, you have to kind of take the attitude that you know, it's, you don't take it personal, you know, just recognize it as early as you can and move on, you know, and find somebody else that, that does want to have the success story that you're, that you're wanting for them. But it's, uh, I think for the most part, you know, I look back all the people that I've worked with over my career and, and I've been really fortunate to work with some great people. And I've, I gotta tell you, I've had, there's been several people in my career that have followed me from market to market that have done, amazing jobs for me in 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 multiple markets I, there's actually three people that i can think of that have worked for me each one of them in three different markets and i think you know when i think about those pe- those are probably the people that i'm the most proud of just because when you can pluck somebody up and take them with you and have them do the same thing again time and time again and have that kind of success uh, with someone Boy, it just speaks volumes about their abilities, doesn't it? Well, it does indeed say a lot about them. But, Ron, it also says an awful lot about you, that they would uproot their situations and follow you around the country, various jobs and opportunities, and stick around and keep doing it. That means you are doing something right. So let's talk about how you perhaps uh, translate that to your teams. How do you get people to communicate? How do you get traffic and sales to talk to each other and communicate and, and build those kind of everlasting and powerful, effective teams at the individual radio station level? Well, I mean, you know, I've always I've always felt like that the best management style that 
worked for me personally, you know, for somebody to manage me uh, and get the most out of me, it, it has to be a participatory style. So, you know, a, a top down approach ne never really worked with me if you were trying to manage me. And, and so I always tried to apply that same principle to people that worked for me. And so I always want to, I like to surround myself with people that they want to participate in the decisions that are being made that, you know, they don't want to be uh, told what to do. They don't want to be micromanaged. Uh, they want to be given um, kind of a, uh, an overall vision of what needs to be accomplished and what, what you're trying to do. And then they want to be given the freedom to create that roadmap uh, to be able to get there and, and be able to enjoy uh, the, the rewards of, of having accomplished that. And so when you find people that think like that, um, I think you, you, you really get, you get a chance to work with, if you will, uh, people that, that make really good entrepreneurs. I mean, that, that's the mentality, right? They may not be building a business that they own all the stock in that company and, and they get all the rewards, but they have that mentality. They, they get just as much of a satisfaction from hitting the goals and, and building the business as if they owned it. And if you treat them that way and you, you treat them as if they're an owner, you treat them with that kind of respect, you'll get that kind of return out of them. And so I always have looked at people that report to me as if they're my partner, that I don't, I try not to look at people as, as anything less than that, because in, in a way they really are. I mean, you know, your employees are going to, they're either, they're going to make you or they're going to break you. And you're the one that gets to choose which way they go. And it's all based on how you treat them. If you treat your employees with respect and you give them enough opportunities to to find success and, and be able to uh, share in in the the rewards of that success, then they'll they'll give it to you in volume. But if you you know if 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 you see them as something less than that, I think you know you, you'll you'll experience a lot of turnover. You'll experience people that are coming to work for you, and maybe all they are really there for is to get a paycheck because they need a paycheck. They're not really there because they're buying into your vision, or they're there because they really are dedicated to your company. You know, years ago, I'd heard the term intrapreneur, which seems to be kind of what you're alluding to there when you're speaking of the individuals that work for you and the way they step up and almost take an ownership feeling as they approach their business day. I mean, nothing makes me prouder than when I'm having a conversation with someone that works for our radio stations. And when, when they refer, when they're having a conversation with you and they continue to refer to the radio station as their radio station, right? Uh, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like this or I don't like that or I love this. And, but when they refer to it, they refer to it as, you know, when I do this on my radio station, you know, when I take my radio station out to the fairgrounds and set it up for this event or whatever, when they refer to it as my radio station, Man, it's there's nothing that sounds better to, to me than that, because when they refer to it as their radio station, you know, when they go out and set that station up or, or whatever it is they're doing, that they're not walking away from it until they have achieved perfection. 
because it's their radio station. That's how they see it. I think that's a very vital and important culture to build. And we're going to get into maybe some of the tools you use about how you build those teams and continue that communication process internally. But first, we're going to take a little short break and we're going to step out for our Ask John segment of the podcast. Chance to check in with John Garziglia to see what is going on on the legal front regarding radio in America. It's time to Ask John, a regular feature where we ask John Garziglia, a partner with the FCC law firm Womble Bond Dickinson, about legal matters facing the broadcast radio industry. Today's email bag has a question concerning political. John, what's your advice for radio stations as they prepare for this upcoming political season? For smaller station operations in particular, designate one person who is responsible for compliance with the FCC requirements of lowest unit charge and the political file rules, particularly uploading materials to the uh, online uh, public file rather than uh, perhaps rely on multiple salespeople to comply, because often things get lost if multiple people are trying to do these tasks. Particularly keep in mind the FCC has an emphasis on political file materials being uploaded as soon as possible, which means immediately absent extraordinary circumstances to the station, extraordinary circumstances. While it's somewhat problematic to define exactly what the FCC means by immediately certainly doesn't mean the next day or next several days. Finally, uh, since super PAC and issue money will be prevalent in the upcoming election and stations are not shielded from liability for non-candidate candidate authorized ads, adopt a station policy now of, uh, regarding the acceptance of such buys. For instance, some stations, because of liability concerns, simply refuse to run any PAC or issue ads, even though they may be leaving significant money on the table. Other stations take a due diligence approach, vetting the copy for each of the potential issues. Uh, others take all the uh, the buys that come their way and wait until a cease and desist letter arrives. And then finally, uh, there's some like the Rhinelander TV station that was in the news in the last several days that was sued by the Trump campaign committee that ran the ads even though they received a letter asking that the ads be taken off the air. So... As an aside, uh, if you're going to take political buys that are not candidate ads but are issue ads where you're not shielded from liability, be sure your errors and omissions insurance is in force. And at the same time, be sure that it covers all content, no matter what the platform, broadcast, social media, websites that your station has any connection with. We now return to the cool radio story of Ron Stone, president and CEO of the Adams Radio Group. Ron was chatting with us about how he builds effective teams, and now we'd like to talk about some of the practical means by which he manages those teams. Ron, what are some of your strategies, uh, communication, and tools perhaps that you use to help your team stay in contact with you and vice versa? Well, prior, you know, prior to the situation we're in right now, um, you know, I, I was traveling a lot. I mean, I enjoy going out to the stations. And so I was on the road every other week and in, in one of our markets every other week. You know, I enjoy going and visiting with them. And when I go to our markets, you know, I, I always enjoy taking our staff out. We try to do a happy hour when I'm there and, you know, and, and, and gives me a chance to show my appreciation to my staff. Uh, in that market for, for what they're doing, what they're trying to accomplish. So there was, you know, I've always enjoyed a lot of in-person time, 
uh, with with our people. Um, you know, I make I know every employee in this company. Uh, if if even here in my market where I live in Lakeville, if I was in a a restaurant and somebody that worked for me in another market walked in that restaurant, I would know them. And so I, I make it a point to know to know the people that work for this company. And it's not that we have a huge number of employees. I mean, we usually average around 120 people that are you know actively employed with us. So it's not there's that not that there's that many, but still I know all 120 of them. These days, you know, we're all working uh, without being able to travel. Uh, so we're using, you know, we're using a lot of Zoom meetings, uh, but I'm finding myself enjoying that. You know, I'm, I'm rarely am I on the phone with anybody uh, just with an audio call. Every every meeting that I'm having with people now, I'm doing it with Zoom so that I can still see their face. Uh, so we're using that tool a lot. Uh, and I'm finding that I, I like that, you know, that the idea of a video call has become a favorite of mine. Uh, I even had a board meeting this week. Uh, with a uh, Zoom, we do three board meetings a year with Steve and my board, and I never thought in a million years I'd do a board meeting not in person. And um, and here we had one of those via Zoom, uh, so that was kind of interesting. But you know, we we try to give uh, we try to give all of our, our our company you know the tools they need to you know to do their job. Certainly, you know, everybody's got what they need. I mean, our our salespeople there, you know, every every salesperson in this company is equipped with you know, laptops and cell phones and, you know, everything they need. I'm not sure if that's what you're asking me or not, but, you know, we try to equip our, our employees with everything they need to do their job. Obviously now, Ron, some of those methods that you've used have changed due to the reality of the cloud that hangs over this broadcast, and that is the COVID-19 crisis has certainly changed. What are some of those things you are now doing differently with your staff? Right now we do two managers meetings. So I have a call with my managers in, in normal times, we did one call a week. So I would, I make sure I have that group call once a week. In these current times, we're doing two calls a week just because everybody's working from home. I think it's important that we stay in touch with each other and have a chance to just share with each other what's going on. So we're doing two calls a week. But I don't, um, I, I don't really ever, I don't try to manage beyond my general managers. So those are the people that I directly manage and then they manage their own staff. But I have an open line of communication with everybody that works for our company. So if there's, if anybody in our company, you know, wants to pick up the phone and call me, whether it's just a chat or whether it's, if they feel a need to talk to me about something, you know, it's an open line. Now, if, if they're calling me because they, they uh, have an issue, the, the first thing that I will say to anybody is, you know, have you talked to the person you report to? You know, have you if it's an on-air person? You know, have you talked to your PD? If you haven't, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you back to the PD because I respect the chain of command, and I think you know I, I think that's the first thing you have to say to somebody. You know, talk to your boss. If you don't feel like you've been treated fairly, you know, then talk to your GM. If you still don't feel like you've been treated fairly, then call me, and and I'll get in the middle of it and try to help you out. But I won't, I won't circumvent people that are, that, you know, are between me and somebody else. I, I just don't think that's fair to them. Um, but I love, you know, I love hearing from our staff. I, I get a lot of emails from people that work for our company that they share with me success stories. And I love those, you know, where something, you know, whether it's a news story that I got an email just last week from a news, our news guy out in Maryland 
had uh, secured a, an e, uh, uh, interview with a state senator in Maryland, and he was so proud of this interview, and he sent it to me, and I was proud of him for having gotten it. And so, you know, I love getting those kind of things from our from our staff, whether it's a sales related matter or, you know, an interview from a you know with a with a with a news guy that got some interview, or, you know, it could be something as simple. Not that this is simple, but it could be a personal matter, you know, where somebody had a, you know, a new baby or something. I, I love hearing from our people. That's certainly some strong insight into ways and means you can continue to connect and stay bonded with your staff during these times. What are you telling your staff about outreach to the community at large, to your clients, to your customer base during this COVID-19 crisis? We have to find ways to work with our clients and you know, many of our clients are going to open up their businesses and, you know, they're not going to have the cash flow to immediately start spending on advertising. That's going to be the last thing on their mind for spending money on. They, they don't have the cash in the bank. They don't have accounts receivable to fund that kind of spending. Uh, and yet they still need to be advertising to let people know they're open again and get customers back in the door and spending money so that they can rehire their employees and and get their business going again, right? And so whether you are a radio station or whether you are a newspaper or a magazine or a television station, it doesn't matter if you're in the advertising business of any kind, I believe that you should be in lockstep with what we are doing. And, it, and that is this, we are offering our clients, if they need it, two things to help them uh, get back on their feet. One is if they need credit with us uh, to, to start an advertising campaign, we're offering it to them. Um, if, if they need 90 days before they get their first invoice from us, then that's what we're going to give them. Um, if they need to stay 90 days behind with us for whatever period of time, then we, we will give them that. We will carry those clients for whatever period that we need to, to help them get started back in into their business because if they don't have funds to advertise and they don't advertise odds are their business is going to fail and if their business fails we'll never get any advertising from them ever again and our business will surely fail the other thing that we're doing is any client that starts back with us um, after May 1st, when we think that the economy is going to start opening back up, we are, we're offering, and we're going to do this for as long as our inventory can handle it, um, we're going to bonus them, whatever their schedule is, we're going to double that schedule at no additional cost, just to give them added uh, frequency, added reach, uh, beyond whatever it is they, they can afford to do. And uh, we're going to do that until we don't have the inventory to do it with. Um, and, and again, for the same reasons, you know, we want to see these local clients uh, get back on their feet as quickly as possible and, and be successful again as quickly as possible. And I, I believe that the clients that we work with, if we, if we approach them in that manner, I think that, that we will be remembered down the road for what we did. And I think we'll be rewarded for it. Um, but I, I know for sure if we don't help them and they don't succeed, it, for every one of those businesses that fail, it's one more nail in the, cough, in the coffin of radio. 
I, I don't see how radio survives long term or newspaper or TV for that matter if we don't help these local businesses survive this. Your ears are dialed into Cool Radio Stories, a podcast presented by Cool Radio Streaming. Now a word from a radio partner. Hi, this is Scott Murray, president and founder of Big Deals Media. Our mission is to help media companies create powerful new business advertising programs paid for in part with trade or gift certificates. You might be familiar with Groupon or other deals programs, and while we all deal with gift certificates as the currency, I can tell you with 100% certainty that Big Deals is a well-thought-out, appealing marketing program for your advertisers and a much more lucrative revenue solution for your company. You see, while many deals programs are a revenue share, where your company is splitting the sale of the certificates as much as 50%, with Big Deals, you keep 93% of your sales. And to ensure your success, we actually come into your market to work directly with your sellers so your sales team sees firsthand the best way to present this solution. Big Deals is changing the way Main Street is buying local media. Today, we have over 3,000 businesses participating in a Big Deals program, and that number is growing every day. How much revenue can you drive from a Big Deals program? We have affiliates generating in excess of $200,000 annually and have been doing so with us since we launched Big Deals during the last economic downturn 10 years ago. Think about it. How good would it look on your P&L right now if your website and digital marketing efforts were driving that kind of revenue? For small businesses, barter is always a popular way of doing business. However, in an economic downturn, barter is king, and monetizing the barter is key for your company. To learn more, go to our website, bigdealsmedia.com, or call us at 952-905-3262. We're back here in the cool radio story of Ron Stone, president and CEO of the Adams Radio Group in Minnesota. Ron was sharing with us some of his new policies and strategies moving forward during the COVID-19 crisis. Ron, I want to know, uh, how are you communicating this to your staff? Is it effective immediately? Is it something uh, across all markets? Yeah, so I I instructed my managers uh, last week uh, on our Friday call last week. Uh, I laid this out for our managers and I said, I, you know, I, I'm anticipating that everybody will be supportive of this, uh, that you'll roll this out to your sales staff uh, and you'll let them know that this is, um, it's a mandate that, you know, we expect them. And we realized also that, you know, salespeople, our salespeople get paid on collections. And so, you know, they're on a draw against collections. You know, they, we, we realize that. Um, and we realize that we're going to have to make some exceptions on how we compensate salespeople for a little while as we go through this. And so um, we we get it, but we also know that you know we all have to be thinking long term. And you know, I honestly, it's like I kind of look at all of this right now as it's kind of like when you know a hundred years ago, you know, when a farmer had a barn burn down, you know, because he left a lantern on in there at one night or whatever happened, maybe, maybe lightning hit it, but for whatever reason, a barn burned down, you know, the next day, um, he didn't walk out there and just see his barn burn down and, and, and think, you know, I, I have no way of dealing with this. 
he walked out there the next day to find out that, you know, every farmer within miles uh, had, you know, they were all there and they had their hammers and they had supplies and, and they helped, they helped him rebuild the barn. And it's that kind of, of friendship and fellowship that I believe um, we're seeing a kind of a, a renaissance of that in a way. And I think, I think everybody senses that. I think everybody realizes that if, if, we're, not, if we're not sticking our hands out to, to others and helping others uh, through this, any way that we can, um, then shame on us. You know, whoever doesn't do that, shame on them, because that's the only way we're going to survive it. You know, we've never been through anything like this before in our country's history, and hopefully we never do again. But we, nobody survives this alone, and nobody's going to come out of this unscathed. Every single business is going to come out of this somehow differently, and, and nobody's coming out of it without being hurt in some way. And the best thing that we all can do is just understand that and then figure out how we can do uh, the most that we can do to help each other. Well, Ron, one of the reasons you're so respected in the industry is because you practice what you preach. As this podcast is being released, it's already in the past an event that you had put together with thousands of radio stations, the Radiothon for Feeding America, your way to help give back. Seems to me that radio as a whole has an opportunity here to be remembered. Uh, and I think as people transition back to the new normal, whatever that may look like, that they will remember those people, those institutions, those media, if you will, that were there with them and uh, held their hands through this process and did the things they needed to do to make sure that they survived together. You know what, I, Tom, I tell you, and this is the only thing I'll, I'll say about the, the Radiothon, because you're right, it, it, it's going to be over by the time this hits hits uh, <clears throat> the air. Um, and, it, and it's the only thing I'm going to say about, you know, the competitive situation that radio has faced. But our business has been challenged, as you know, for a long time. We've had a lot of competitive things coming at us for a long time that we've had to deal with. <clears throat> But what we're doing right now with this, the number of stations that have come together, we're up, we're over 2,000 stations now participating in this event, and um, and there's over 6,000 stations that are participating via network inventory uh, that's been that has been uh, uh, you know thrown into the into the mix uh, via a couple of networks and. When I, when I sit and I think about that and I think about what's, I, I don't know how much money is going to get raised. We won't know until May 4th. That's when we're going to finally cut it off. So I think it's going to be a lot. I think we're going to, we're going to be real proud of what we did. And I hope that people are going to stand back and look and go, wow, all these radio stations got together and did this and raised all this money to help people that needed help uh, that were, you know, that were, uh, food challenged during this time. Look at what radio did. Look at what local radio stations did, and and all these people that thought radio was you know was on its way out. Uh, here's proof that they're not. Not only are they not on their way out, but all of these services that you know that there's been plenty of people that have said you know radio is going to be replaced by 
uh, Pandora or they're going to be replaced by Spotify or Sirius XM is going to replace them. You know, nobody listens to radio anymore. We've all heard all these stories, right? But here's reality. What these radio stations are doing together is something that nobody from any of those services that I just mentioned, nobody from those services is picking up the phone and and calling and, and setting up and doing what these radio stations are doing right now. And not one of those services is going to be in any of these local communities and calling up these local advertisers and offering the help that I think these radio stations are going to be offering to advertisers to help them stay in business. And I think the message that gets sent at the end of the day is that radio is very much alive and well. We might not be as healthy as we used to be financially, but we're very much alive and well in the communities that we serve and in the, and in the minds and in the ears of the listeners uh, that, that turn us on every single day. I don't think that we're in any way um, on our way out. I think we're very, very much alive. Well, I encourage that very positive outlook, and I think it's pretty interesting that uh, one of the best-selling books during this quarantine time is The Splendor and the Vile uh, by Eric Larson, the book of the one year in the life of Winston Churchill, when Germany set their sights on the island and started to bomb and eventually was planning a raid of the country. And just the darkness that overcame the country and how it was uh, deflected, if you will, by the resolute spirit of the English people, as in particular their leader, Winston Churchill. I think it's a nice book to read to know that things can be really, really bad and yet you can overcome. Ron, let's lighten the conversation a tad and conclude with the final question. Your favorite music artist or album that had a great influence on you? Well, my favorite music artist, I'll give you that one, uh, would be, and, and this, this, this changes a little bit from time to time, but my favorite music artist right now would be Luke Bryan. Um, I like, I like him a lot. Uh, I love his music and, uh, yeah, that would be it. Indeed. A great artist. So we appreciate you sharing that with us as well as sharing your cool radio story with us. Ron Stone, president and CEO of the Adams Radio Group. You can find Ron's contact information either in the show notes or at adamsradiogroup.com. We're not just done yet here on the podcast. We'd like to share with you a little information and insight on the digital world and how you and your radio station can take advantage of the latest trends. It's time to dig into digital. Our segment on how you can use digital to unleash the power of your station. Here's our digital guide, Zhang Wanzhong, CEO of RadioMax. I was recently thinking about the explosion of smartphones and the skyrocketing increase of users accessing the various media through their phones. You know what? Radio has some catching up to do if it wants to compete for listeners' ears and eyeballs. When you think about digital and radio, sometimes it's, it can be a little confusing. What does it actually mean? I think most simply, what you need to think about is, am I streaming my radio station? Do I have mobile for my radio station? Basically, do I have other ways that our listeners can interact and connect with our station. There are so many cost-affordable solutions available to radio stations right now through streaming, through mobile, that are going to allow you to capture 
all the digital advertising dollars that are being spent in the U.S. Think about this for a second. Right now, over half the advertising spend in the U.S. is being done through digital. But radio, the most important and powerful medium out there, is only getting 7% of those digital dollars. And why? Because radio hasn't adopted the tools that the digital marketers are looking for. So how do you dip your toe in the water? How do you start to see the, the options that are available? Like I said, streaming. It's amazing to me right now how many stations we talk to and they're not even streaming yet. Yeah, we think about the royalties and what that's going to cost, but when you start to stream, the actual streaming costs are, are, are pennies over, you know, over the course of it's just it's, It doesn't cost that much money. Sure, you got to think about the royalties, but when you start to stream, you're not going to have a ton of listeners. You're going to build that up, and as you're building that, you're going to be able to draw in those digital dollars that are going to easily offset those costs. And then think about mobile. Mobile allows you to interact, engage with your listeners never before available to radio. You'll have measurement. You'll have statistics that you can provide to those digital advertisers. There are so many things we can be doing better as radio. You know what I was thinking about? Does everyone remember what happened to the record labels when they didn't embrace digital? Radio cannot let that happen. We all need to think about how we can do digital better. Radio is always evolving. It's going to continue to evolve. And to capitalize on the growing market share, we need to embrace the new digital landscape. Next week... We'll be talking about more specifics on digital, more specifics on advertising, how to drive revenue, and how we can all work together to take radio, the most powerful, impactful mass medium out there, and help it grow and thrive. That's John Wanzung, CEO of Radiomax. For more on using digital to unleash the power of your station, visit radiomax.co. That concludes our episode today. I want to thank you for listening to Cool Radio Stories. Find out more at coolradiostories.com. And once again, a sincere thanks to Ron Stone, President and CEO of the Adams Radio Group, for sharing his Cool Radio Story with us today. You've been listening to Cool Radio Stories, a production of Cool Radio Streaming. For more information, show notes, guest profiles, and more, visit CoolRadioStories.com and subscribe to the podcast at Apple iTunes, Overcast, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.